Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, again, we're ready to dive back in. We are in a brief mini-series. We took a pause on the series that we've been in, um, a very long series called The Book of Acts. We're literally going through the Book of Acts chapter by chapter, and hopefully it's been a blessing to you. But we've taken a bit of a pause to go through this legacy series, and this is a brief series. This is actually the last week of this series, and we'll go right back into the book of Acts. But I wanted to find legacy once again. You heard Pastor Jacob do it two weeks ago. You heard me do it last week. I wanted to find it one more time. Pastor Gabe, what is a legacy? A legacy is the future influenced by you, but without you. It's the future influenced by you, but without you. And so this week, I'm actually going to kind of fuse these two series together for a moment. Last week, we kind of gave some some background. We went right back to the very birth date of the church, the inception of the church in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came down and talked about how they responded. This week, I want to get ahead of where we're going to go next week. This is a bit of a, a prequel, if you will. And I want to go to the book of Galatians chapter 2. Because again, what, we're going to come back to the book of Acts next week, and we're going to dive into Acts chapter 15. But what happens in Acts chapter 15 is something that I believe the Apostle Paul talks about in the book of Galatians chapter 2. See, in Acts, as you remember, we're talking through the historical context, the historical narrative of the church from its very beginning right into the, the, its spreading all over the world. And it's a historical account, like I just mentioned. But when the Apostle Paul talks about it, he talks about it from his personal perspective. You can have a historical account, and then you can have somebody who was there, and they felt all of the emotions. They, were, they, had, they felt all the drama. They were mad at all the people, right? It was their personal story. And so the Apostle Paul is going to talk about something that I believe happened in Acts chapter 15. Now, the reason why I keep saying I believe is because there's some scholars that believe that there were two different accounts, but there are many who believe that it was the exact same story. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about the moment when the Apostle Paul is out preaching with Barnabas And then they go back to Jerusalem. And if you remember, in Jerusalem, that was the head of the church, the leadership of the church. All of the apostles were in Jerusalem, or most of the apostles, rather, were in Jerusalem. And that was kind of like the the head place. The head leaders of the church were at that moment. They were at that place and at that time in history. And so the Apostle Paul and Barnabas have been going around the world, right, preaching the gospel, starting these new churches, which was something different because the church was supposed to be in Jerusalem. So they're going around preaching to all of these different cities and communities and planting these brand new works, these brand new churches. And then something dawns on Paul. I probably need to go back to Jerusalem and see if what I'm doing is okay. Paul was a man who understood authority, but he was also a man that knew very well that he was called by God, that what he was doing was from God and he was supposed to be doing it. He knew that. 
But yet he had this moment of, I need to go back and check with the people that God established as leadership. And then we find something very interesting that happens. It's very pertinent to where we're at, to everything we've been talking about. And I don't want you to miss it. So I want us to dive right into this. And so, again, let me give you the story. Paul, born again on the road to Damascus, goes away for three years. This is what Galatians chapter 1 talks about. He goes away for three years into Arabia. And then he ventures back into Jerusalem. And he meets with Peter for a few days, but then he goes right back to preaching the gospel. And then he gets called, of course, by Barnabas, and they go to the Antioch, and they start, they start preaching. They build this church, and then they start going and building these other churches. And I'm going, I'm saying all of this stuff because I want to build the foundation for what I'm about to read to you. And he realizes I need to go back to Jerusalem. This is what the Bible says. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. How many of you remember when we did our series called the Book of Titus? This is the same man, the same man that Paul later sent to be the pastor of this church in Crete. This is this guy. He's traveling with Paul, and he's hanging out with Paul, and he's learning how to do this whole church planning, pastoring, apostle thing. Verse two, I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. Don't miss this. He said, I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. In other words, he's saying, I went there to make sure that even though I felt so strongly that what I was doing was from God, I also recognized authority. That God places people in spiritual authority for a reason. And that is a covering to us, that is a protection to us. Now I know, listen, some of you have been around people who have taken that for granted or they've, they've gone way overboard with that type of authority and manipulated and controlled people. That's not God either and every one of those people will stand before God for what they've done. Every one of them. But that does, we will stand before God for how we responded to the authority he placed in our lives. We will. And so Paul is saying, listen, even though I'm not super impressed with these people, I still recognize that I need them because God set them in authority over my life. Let's keep going. Verse three, and they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised though he was a Gentile. Now Titus was a Greek man. He was not a Jew. And as you guys remember, as we've talked through in the book of Acts, if the church membership of being, being a Jew was to be circumcised. Ouch. I've joked about this before, but how many of you would not come back to our church if that was our newcomer's luncheon? Come get some pasta, right? Come in the back, Hananiah's back there with a knife. We'll get you in membership class real quick. You wouldn't come back. Once again, y'all, Midtown would be the biggest campus we have because y'all would all go there. And so they didn't, they didn't say that Titus needed to do that. Why? Because they recognized that God was, in, God was moving in, in, in Titus's life. They recognized that you no longer had to be circumcised in order to be a believer, a follower of God. 
Now, the Jewish people kept that as part of their custom, but for the Gentiles, they recognized these Gentiles are getting filled with the Holy Spirit. We're seeing signs and wonders and miracles happen in the lives of these Gentiles without them being circumcised. So why would we create this barrier, this unnecessary, painful barrier in order to become a follower of Christ? Verse four, and this is what Paul says. He says, even that question came about only because of some so-called believers there, false ones really. I love, can I just tell you, I love Paul. Paul just called stuff the way that it is. Paul was like, y'all fake. (laughs) Like, don't act like you're saved. You're not saved. You're fake. And then he goes on. He says, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. So what Paul is saying there is, listen, wait a minute. What they're trying to accomplish, these weren't even really Christians. They probably were sent there by the Jewish leaders to to somehow enslave us to stop what we're doing with the Gentiles because they wanted the Gentile people, many of those Jewish leaders, some of which had become Christians, but they wanted those Gentile people to go through the exact same process. How dare they come into the kingdom without having to go through what we had to go through? Which by the way, let me just tell you, I believe that's what Jesus was talking about when he gave the story of the prodigal son. When he said the older brother is gonna be there and he's gonna be very critical of the younger brother coming back because the younger brother didn't have to stay and do all of the stuff that he had to do. So why can he be blessed and I don't get the same blessings? That's what they were trying to do to the Gentiles. Verse five, but we refuse to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars in the church, recognized the gift of God, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to preach to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Now, don't miss this. Very important. Verse 10. Their only suggestion was that we keep helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. Now, once again, this is a, this is a, a prequel to what we're going to talk about because the book of Acts is going to talk about this meeting with these leaders. And it's going to, the next week is all about conflict. That whole chapter, chapter 15, is all about conflict and how to handle conflict. So if you have people in your life that you're in conflict with, make sure you come next week. If you have people in your life that you want to be in conflict with, bring them next week. (laughs) But we're gonna be talking about how to handle conflict God's way because the Bible Bible gives, gives us these pictures of this conflict that happens even with people that love each other. And all the married people said, amen. Amen. Not in our marriage, but in y'all's, the people we counsel. (laughs) 
But before we get into that, Paul is telling us about this account from his very own perspective. And this is what he ends this with. This is what he says. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. Now, Paul is sitting before these leaders and everything is on the line for him. The doctrine that he's been teaching is on the line, how he's been preaching all of those things. The churches he's planted, they're all on the line. They're all under judgment in this moment. And the leaders of the church say, Paul, what you're doing is great. Keep doing it. Keep preaching it. God's hand is on you. You are called to reach the Gentiles. But do not forget the poor. And I believe that what is happening here is that there's, again, it's full agreement. They have one suggestion. Why is this important? Another way of looking at this is saying the work of the gospel has to be connected with helping the poor. The work of building churches, the work of preaching to all of these people is incredible and is the primary calling of the church. That is first and foremost, the primary calling of the church. We can never miss that. But a church is not a true church unless it is connected to this very important point. You are called to help the poor. You're called to remember those who are in need. You're called to sacrifice from your own hearts and your own selves for those who do not have. They were saying, Paul, everything you're doing is fantastic, but do not forget that. Church, if we're gonna be the type of church that God has called us to be, we can't forget that. We cannot forget the poor. This is what God has called us to do. This is who God has called us to be. Why? Because it's what Jesus did. Jesus did miracles. Jesus preached. But Jesus also met practical needs. Like Pastor Jacob talked about two weeks ago. Jesus fed those 5,000 hungry people. Jesus restored health to that leper who had been ostracized and then lost everything. So if we're his body, we are called to do what he did. We're called to do what he did. Now, the poor in this context, they're talking about those who are less, who have less than them financially. And what we've been talking about in Legacy is helping those who have less than us financially as well. But we're also helping people who have a need. The poor can be people who have, simply have a need that you have the ability to meet. That's what we're talking about. And the church is called, as I mentioned before, to be a generous church. Why should we be a generous church? I'll tell you why. Number one, it helps those who can't help themselves. When we represent Jesus in that way, the first thing that people do when they receive a blessing that they know could only come from God and came through the avenue of his body, the first thing they do is they give praise to God. So when you sacrifice and you give generously, you actually give worship to God, not only from your heart, but from the heart of the person you're helping. So that's why we're generous. The second thing is, and this is going to be very honest, it kills selfishness and greed in our lives. If you're greedy, the only way that you can get rid of that is to give. 
You cannot get rid of being greedy and stingy by just praying about it. God, help me not be greedy. I'll tell you what he's going to do. Give you the opportunity to give. And you pass it by and go, God, please help me to not be greedy. And he's like, I just tried. If you want to break greed and stinginess off of your life, make the conscious decision to be a giver. Make the conscious decision to help someone else that would not have gotten that help from you a week ago. That is how you break the power of greed. That's how you break the power of selfishness. You cannot be generous to yourself. The only way that you can be generous is by helping others. So church, this is who we're called to be. We're called to be a generous church. We are the legacy of Jesus. If you don't believe me, let me read another moment to you that we've already read about in Scripture in the book of Acts. And then I want you to hear some amazing testimonies today. But I want to read about something that we read about in Acts chapter 11. Let me just go right to it. Acts chapter 11, verse 27. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch, the church where Paul and Barnabas were leading. One of the name, excuse me, one of them named Agabus stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. Verse 29, so the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. So they hear this word from this prophet that this great famine is coming. And this wealthy Gentile church gives towards the church in Jerusalem because they know there's going to be a struggle there. And I could read other scenarios and other stories throughout the Bible. Paul was constantly, when when he's writing these letters to these churches that he's overseeing, one of the things he's constantly doing is challenging them to give. Constantly challenging them to give, not to his ministry, not so that he can have the nicest donkey around, (laughs) but for the needs of those who needed their help. He was constantly challenging them. Why? Because the church is supposed to be a generous church. Let me tell you some of the problems that we're targeting this year in Legacy. We've talked about it, but let me just tell you a little bit more. There are over 200,000 people sex trafficked each year in America alone. Sex traffic, modern day slavery happening in our very midst. Happening right underneath our noses. Let me give you another one. Over 90,000 people lost their lives to addiction last year alone. In 2020, over 90,000 people And this is a statistic that you may hear in a moment, but I've heard it said that in every four homes, if you were to go in a neighborhood, every one of, one out of every four homes, there's someone in that home struggling with addiction. One in every four. Let me just ask you by a show of hands, how many of you have a family member or know of someone that you deeply love who's struggling with addiction? Look around you. That's how real and how prevalent this is. These are the people that are in need. These are real problems in our generation. 
So let me talk about what we're planning to do as a church to help be a part of the solution. The first thing is we are partnering with Tim Tebow. Many of you guys know Tim Tebow. He's come and spoken at a church at least two times. And he's ha- he has a ministry to help reach those who've been human trafficked. Last week I talked about the story of his dad who purchased four girls. Now let me make sure that that was, I'm clear, not for himself. He purchased four girls to get them out of human trafficking. And so we're giving $250,000. Our goal throughout Legacy is to bring in $1 million from all of our campuses. $250,000 of that is going to go towards Tim Tebow's ministry of human trafficking. And rather than you just hear it from me, I want you to take a look at this video. And I want you to hear it from Tim Tebow's mouth himself on just what we're doing. For me, with anti-human trafficking, it was almost nine, ten years ago now. I was, um, I get a call from my dad, and he says, hey, Timmy, I just bought four girls. I was like, what are you talking about? You just bought four girls. And he said, uh, he was preaching at an underground pastor's conference in a remote country where Christianity is not really allowed. And uh, he said, where we were preaching, they were selling four girls. And... I said, well, what did you do? He said, I had to do something. I, so I walked over there and I bought them because I knew all the other people that were going to buy them were going to do terrible things. And so he said, you know, what do you think we should do? And, and you know, his ministry was, it's a little different than ours. They were in church planting and, and evangelism, and, but we were, already had orphanages, a bunch of places. So we, I was like, well, we're going to build the fastest safe home. We didn't know what we were doing, but we, we hid the girls in, a, in an underground church for the first few nights, and we built an incredibly fast safe home. And those were the first four girls that um, we ever built a safe home for. And thankfully, we've gotten a, um, been able to, to rescue and, and restore a, a lot since then. Well, we're going to do something about it. We started a day, and we're going to continue. And by God's grace, we want to help you build a safe house for these women. And these folks are going Thank to help you. do that. Thank you. All of our Savior's Church, what's up, guys? This is Tim Tebow, and I want to say thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor Jacob. Thank you, Mr. Michelle, for um, loving the work that we're doing at TTF, but more importantly, uh, loving the people that we're loving and helping. And such a big part of our fight is for those that are being trafficked here in our backyard and also around the world. Thank you for partnering with us to want to build safe houses for those who have truly got out of the darkest hour of need. And we believe as, uh, as Christians, that Jesus came on a rescue mission for us and we better be on a rescue mission for people. We want to love who he loves. We want to love what he loves and he loves people. We need to love people. Thank you for loving people so well. Thank you for this generous um, donation, this kind gift and this partnership. We're super grateful. We really believe we'll be able to change lives together. We're grateful for you. Pastor Jacob, we love you. God bless you guys. Come on. I may have mentioned this last week, but in Baton Rouge alone is in the top 10 or top 15 cities in the nation for human trafficking, one hour away from us. So that's what we're partnering with, with, with Tim Tebow, I almost called him Pastor Tim Tebow, but Tim Tebow in his ministry. Another ministry that we're giving towards is something that we, we recently started called the Retreat at Sunset. And uh, rather than you guys just hear it from me, we are in for a special treat because today I want to invite to the stage Michael Hankins, who's the director of the Retreat at Sunset. 
to share a little bit more about it and to share his story. He's an amazing man with an amazing story. So Michael, it's all yours. Thank you so much, Pastor Gabe. And thank you, OSC Broussard. What a beautiful church, I got to say. I mean, my goodness. I mean, the building's nice, but you guys got your beauty sleep. I can see fresh faces. So definitely beautiful. Thank you so much for having us. Like you said, my name is Michael Hankins. And what a privilege to be partnering with you guys for Legacy. Um, I I can't wait to tell you about what God is doing Monday through Saturday. But the best way for me to do that is tell you a little bit about myself first. So, um, you know, years ago, I, you know, I didn't wake up one day and uh, thought to my, I didn't think to myself, you know what I want to do? I want to spend the rest of my life in addiction. I didn't wake up one day like that, right? It's like, you know, in the same way, like so many people that are struggling in addiction, you ask them how they got started. It wasn't like they were driving down the road one day and it was like, you know what, life's good. Oh, and then magically drugs appear in front of me. Let me do that, right? No, that's not what happens. You don't wake up one day and you say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to spend the next five years in the penitentiary. That sounds like a good, good strategy. No, it started out, my life started out with steps in the wrong direction. And it began the same way everyone else began, which is around the wrong people. I had bad influences. That's how my life, you know, I, I, had, I had a great childhood, but uh, my parents began a divorce um, when I was in my teens. And I was hanging out with the wrong people and I started smoking cigarettes after school and, you know, drinking alcohol on the weekends and then transitioned to using drugs during school. And uh, the, the divorce finalized and my mom was heavily into drugs and alcohol. It was, it was bad. And uh, I, you know, I was, I was there trying to save her life some days, you know, trying and keep her alive. You know, she'd be overdosing and, and I'm driving my, my siblings um, to, to ballet practice and to, you know, to the doctor and stuff. And I don't have my driver's license. So I, I, I ran from that quickly. I, I was 17 and I went off to college and I stayed with my dad for a little bit, but then I took off and I was like, I'm, I'm getting out of here. I stopped answering my mom's phone calls and I was like, I'm just going to go live for me. And, and I, I did my own will. I, I didn't have to, I didn't have to report to anybody. So I, you know, had fun. I, I partied, had a great time in college. Uh, but my life changed dramatically one day. Um, a few days before my 18th birthday, my dad called me and uh, he said, your mother shot herself in front of your siblings. And yeah, my, my life changed overnight. What was once recreational, what was once done for fun became necessity for survival. I, I needed drugs. I needed them. I needed alcohol to, to survive. I was in and out of doctor's offices for the next few years with uh, being diagnosed with manic bipolar disorder, um, insomnia, ADHD. I mean, they were, they were just trying to find a diagnosis that would, that would make sense with what was going on in me. And the reality was there was no pill that was going to work. But they tried a bunch of them, like nine or ten at one time, nine or ten psychotropic medications. And uh, I, I just continued that pattern until I found myself losing. I lost my 10-year battle with addiction in February of 2014. I was on the floor of my apartment. I'd been binge drinking for a couple of days. And I had this out-of-body experience, this moment of clarity. I looked in my life. I was looking back at my experiences and losing my mother and the divorce and everything. And I was looking at my decisions and I looked at where I was and I realized I had nothing and nobody. And in that moment, I realized that I could not blame her anymore. I couldn't blame my circumstances. I couldn't blame the people that introduced it to me. I couldn't blame the doctors. I realized that I was responsible for where I was. And up until that point, I had rejected the possibility of God. 
The, the idea that there would be a good God. Like I was an atheist. I, would, I was the anti-Christian. I tried to talk my friends out of going to church. I got kicked out of church for drinking. I, I was the anti-Christian. And there I was looking at my life on the throne of my own judgment. And I realized that I deserved to die for my decisions, for my life. I didn't have a word for it, but I saw evil in me and it terrified me. Before I put the knife in my arm, I said, God, I'm sorry. Three words that I believe saved my life because I woke up in the hospital and I saw something, an image that is seared into my brain for the rest of my life. At the foot of my bed, there was my dad with his head in his hands. And it was then that I realized how selfish I have been. He lost his wife, my mother, to addiction. And he almost lost me. It's an image that drives me and motivates me. It's an image that I hold dearly to myself because it has given me unlimited patience with the families of those of loved ones who are in addiction. I'll talk to them for days on end. I don't care. I'll do whatever it takes. Somebody came to my bedside in the hospital and they said, hey, there's a place that might help you. It's, it's called Teen Challenge. And I said, well, I'm 25. <laughs> he was like, no, it's, it's for adults too. I was like, okay. Fine, you know. Let me tell you, I, I, in that moment, I had no hope. Zero. I, had, I didn't even have the will to live. I was literally a zombie. I didn't care. So I went into detox for seven days, and then I went into Teen Challenge. And then something happened, um, and, and you, you, I met Jesus. And let me tell you what happened. The skies did not part. Fire did not fall from heaven. I was in that little orientation room and I, and I had this little book and it says, pray this prayer if you want to accept Jesus. And I prayed that prayer, you know, in a book written by Dave Batty, the Teen Challenge curriculum, right? I was like, pray the prayer. And like, I prayed and nothing happened. Yet that night I slept. I really slept. And the next, next morning I was hungry. I had an appetite. And, and you see, see what happened? My life started out with me taking steps in the wrong direction and Jesus started taking me on steps in the right direction. And Teen Challenge is long and yeah, amen. God is incredible. Let me tell you what he did. Within the first few weeks of being at Teen Challenge, God radically delivered me from a 10-year alcohol and, and drug addiction. He freed me from uh, nine psychotropic medications, cured my brain, then, then cured me miraculously from a chronic seizure disorder that doctors said I would never be free from. He then, that's not all. He started taking away things. Let me tell you the things he started adding to my life. Purpose, hope, a future, passion, the reason to get up in the morning. That is what Jesus does in Teen Challenge. And that is why I am so excited to be here today to talk to you about legacy. What, ha what is happening Monday through Saturday? Because my wife and I, I, I mean, we just, we've been serving and loving Teen Challenge for the last seven years. We recently just resigned and moved away from the, like serving actually at Teen Challenge. We were the program directors of the one in Arneville. And um, I've traveled and worked at many different Teen Challenges. And it's, it's such an incredible program. But we, we, we felt the Lord pulling us away that God was going to do something different. And, and there was, was going to be an open door. And we had no idea what it looked like. And then we met Pastor Jacob. And then we saw what was going on at OSC. All of these different pastors and leaders were putting their hands on this thing called the retreat. And they were saying, this is the will of God. And they shared with us the vision. And we were like... Yes, that is the will of God. And we came in, we came on board, we hit the ground running, and I'm here to tell you about the miracles that are taking place Monday through Saturday. So there's two components to what I'm here to share with you today. The first 
The thing that I'm so incredibly excited about is that we are right now actively helping men and women get out of the position that I was in and get them out of the drug courts and get them out of the jails and get them out of the court systems. And because of your generosity, we are then sending them to adult and teen challenge where they're being freed from addiction. I mean, that's incredible. That's you. You're leaving a legacy. And you know, I could tell you the nuts and bolts on how DAs and ADAs and judges and prosecutors are all getting on board. And you know what they're saying? They're saying, uh, we'll give you this. We'll trust you with this guy. We'll trust you with this lady. And, and you know, you, you, take your, you take them to this program. And then if they finish and complete the program, we're going to wipe away all their charges. Let me tell you, that's a miracle. They're tired of it. Drug courts are tired of it. The judicial system is tired of it. They realize we're, we're, we're losing this battle. Every day someone dies in Acadiana. Every day someone dies in this, in this area from drug addiction. So what, what we get to do is, is help them into the program. And I could tell you how it works, but the best way for me to explain it to you guys is to tell you what happened Friday. So my wife just got back. She drove like eight hours um, because there was this, um, we got a phone call. There's a, a woman that walked into DCFS in uh, the Department of Children and Family Services. She walked into DCFS in St. Landry Parish. And they called us because they heard that I, I, I'm kind of obsessive about giving my phone number. Like if like anybody wants, I'm like, hey, here's my phone number. If you know someone who needs help, call me. I'll answer at any time. Like, let's go. And so they, somebody had my phone number in that office. Don't know how they got it, but they did. And so they called and it was, we were getting ready for a board meeting. And I was like, they, they called and they said, this woman just walked in. She's been drinking and, and using cocaine with her boyfriend and her boyfriend just put a gun to her head. She's fleed for her life. She's here. And um, I, I said, well, why is she at DF, DCFS? And she said, well, she's seven and a half months pregnant with her 10th child. Yeah. We dropped what we were doing. And uh, we'll drop the ball for ministry all day, every day. We'll drop the ball. And uh, so my wife got up, went and grabbed her and, and, and got her somewhere safe. And because of you, because of legacy, right now, we, we found a mom bed for her in Teen Challenge. They're, they're very rare, but she's right now at Teen Challenge in a place where she's going to have her baby. That baby is going to be born not addicted to drugs. And yeah, I mean, this is amazing. She, she is going to have that baby in an environment that people are going to love her and love that child and going to teach her how to follow the Lord. And it's, it's absolutely incredible. And I, I just want to say thank you so much for that. But we're here to talk about legacy. And that's your part of this. But I want to share with you something that you don't see. I want to share with you the other side of legacy. And that's what also happened on Friday. Because on Friday, when she went to take her, a couple of days before, we found out that there was a lot of stuff she needed in order to get into the program. She needed clothes. I mean, she fled for her life. She had nothing. She had no bags, no medicine, no, no soap, nothing. And so we thought, how are we going to take care of this? Because we can cover induction fee and transportation, but what are we going to do? And so my wife and I talked about it. We thought, you know what, let's, let's reach out to uh, O-Town. Let's reach out to OSC Opelousas, the staff there, and see if they want to help. So we sent out a group text of everything that was needed. They were fighting over who was going to be able to pay for it. They're not asking you to go somewhere. They're not going. They didn't reach into the church budget. They didn't ask you. They, they said, no, this is us. Like, no, I'm, I'm writing a check for this. I got this. This is, see, legacy is, 
It's, it's so beautiful. And, and my wife and I are so privileged to be part of that. I want to say thank you for that. And, and the retreat at Sunset, we're, my wife and I have the privilege of serving as the home directors there. What an incredible opportunity. That's the other part of what we get to do. And the retreat at Sunset is going to produce dividends for many, many years to come. It is taking men that have experienced that transformation with Jesus Christ and want to uh, want to live in a new community and, and under the covering of a new church and, and just... And, and, and serve in ministry or, or, or start a business. They, these are men that I, I'm just going to make copies of myself. I'm just going to make leaders that are just going to go out and, 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 and do the work of the Lord. And so when it comes to legacy, I, when, when I was in service and, and I'm, I'm just about to finish, when I was in service, the Lord spoke to me and he said, there's so many people that are, you know, I'm paraphrasing. So many people are trying to store up something that they're going to lose forever. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that you're not going to take anything with you to heaven. But there's something that you did contribute to heaven. There's something man-made that you contributed. And it's already there. And it's the scars of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, church, what you have here, if you'll, if you'll invest it in legacy, I'm telling you, it's such an incredible privilege to be a part of this. And, and I just want to say Thank you so much for your generosity because I'm just going to give her a random name. Jane is, is going to have her baby free from addiction. And then this morning, there's a guy that we got a bus ticket for. He's on his way to Teen Challenge this morning. So Monday through Saturday and then also Sunday, we celebrate on Sunday what God, what God is doing Monday through Saturday. OSC Broussard, thank you so much for leaving a legacy. That could not have been said any better. Church, that's what you're giving towards. And so when, when we're sending people to the retreat at sunset or when we're connecting people to Teen Challenge, they're being trusted in the hands of that amazing couple. That's what we're doing because this is what's happening on our watch. And so the next thing, and he mentioned it, is Teen Challenge. We're giving $100,000 towards Teen Challenge. And I've explained that over the last couple of weeks, but in case you missed it, what that is is we're, Teen Challenge costs $500 to send someone for a full year. It's a discipleship program. It's what absolutely changed Michael's life. And so it costs $500, but we're putting $100,000 towards paying for different people to go. That's around 2,000 people that we can send to Teen Challenge because of this. And I love how Michael shared his testimony, but I want you to hear another testimony of someone that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. I want you to hear it from their mouth as well. So turn your attention to the screen one last time. Oh, a video is circulating on social media showing the moment one man made a decision that really could have cost him his life. Yeah, no kidding. The man decides to jump off a bridge and into the Atchafalaya Basin as he and other drivers were sitting in gridlock along I-10. Johnson Von Springer has the story. Shocking video Friday. Standstill traffic giving this man the ill-advised idea to jump from the Basin Bridge... <laughs> into the Atchafalaya River below. I-10 West was closed four hours Friday afternoon after a 10-vehicle pileup, and it was while sitting in traffic he had the idea to jump. I jumped off the bridge, and when I hit the water, my shoulder went up and kind of hurt my shoulder, but I started swimming. Start swimming. And 
I couldn't get back to the bank because the current was too was way too strong. The jump setting off an hours-long search. Wildlife and fisheries agents, along with the St. Martin Parish Sheriff's Office, involved. Deputies saying the exhaustive and extensive search should Don't never have me. been necessary, as he should have never jumped. I stayed in the water for probably about, I had a watch on, I looked at it for probably about two and a half, three hours. Thought I was going to die, but God saved me. And he uh, got back, finally all the waters went still, and I went back, I was able to get back onto shore. And that's, that I was, it was pretty crazy me getting back to shore. A trek for all involved once he made it back to land. It took even more time for officials to find him. His friend, Corey Vaughn, a New Roads native, was there as he decided to take the plunge. A plunge he now admits was a bad idea and could have ended tragically. Hey, Our Savior's Church, my name is Jimmy Jennings. Uh, thank you for your generosity. It helped me get here to Teen Challenge, and, and God's completely changed my life. There's a lot of men out here just like me, and, um, and they need your help as well. Uh, this, is, this is an amazing place, and God is just moving over here. So thank you for your generosity, and thank you for, for helping people just like me get here. Remember the poor. Don't get so caught up in in just the building of churches, which is amazing. Don't just get caught up with the needs that you have. Remember those who have needs outside of your needs. That's what the church challenged the Apostle Paul with. And church, that's what I want to challenge you with. Let's remember the needs of those around us. Let's remember that girl who is going to be human trafficked that needs to be rescued. Let's remember that man who's addicted to drugs and making foolish decisions with his life. Let's remember the future Michael Hankins. That's what we're asking you to give towards. And of course, I mentioned 90,000 of that will go to each campus. Each campus will receive $90,000 to do outreach in our own local communities. And last year, we renovated the Hope Center in St. Martinville, which is just literally what the, it is what, the, what we call it. It's a place for hope. It's a place that we're gonna be doing job training for people who need a job skill. A place where we're gonna be helping kids. A place that we're gonna be doing medical outreaches with the community. We just hired Ashley Adams to do at least one, out, at least one outreach every single month in our communities to get out of ourselves and out of our needs and to remember those who need Jesus. And the way that they're going to hear about Jesus is gonna be through you, his legacy. So pastor, what are you asking me to do? What are you asking me to do? I'm asking you to do three things. We've been asking you to ask God what he would have you to give. Listen, don't, don't give out of compulsion. Don't give out of, okay, well, I have to give. Don't give because of that. If that's your heart, I'm asking you, please don't. Because the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. If you say, I've prayed and I've asked God, and I believe this is what the Lord wants me to give, I want you to give that. Second thing is, as you give, we're asking you to give that greatest gift that God puts on your heart, but also to give your greatest need. In the pew pocket in front of you, we, there's a card like this, and we've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. I want to encourage you on the front to write out your greatest need. What is it that you're asking God for and believing God for? And in a moment, we're going to receive communion together as a spiritual family. And we're going to have the communion up here, and we're going to have our, our team up front. 
and I'm gonna ask everybody to come and receive communion and everyone to bring your greatest need. Even if, you're not, even if you don't have the ability to give today, I want you to come up anyway and just receive communion and bring your greatest need so that we can d- receive that together and you can bring the things on your heart. Because maybe you're saying, Pastor, I have a bunch of needs myself. Bring those needs to the altar. We're launching a prayer service, not this Wednesday night, but next Wednesday night. And we're gonna be praying over these needs. We're gonna be interceding for these very things. We have Monday morning prayer here at 6 a.m. Those people are gonna be praying for these needs. So I wanna encourage you to bring your greatest gift and to bring your greatest need. And lastly, I wanna ask you to do this. I had many of you lift your hands if you've been affected by addiction or know someone who's been affected by addiction. I want you to give for those who need your help and will receive your help. Even if it's on behalf of those people that you wish that you could help that won't receive your help. Let's give for that. So I'm going to ask everyone to just take a moment, grab your card, fill out your need, and the band's going to play here in a moment. And then our team is going to come forward and it's going to invite you to come forward to receive the, the communion elements. And I'm going to come back and pray over that. Don't receive it until we're receiving it together. But on this card, write down your greatest gift. And maybe if you're unable to give today, but you're making a six-month commitment, you can write that on the back as well, along with the gift that you're giving. And in our regular tithes and offerings envelope to the, this side, to the, the right-hand side of it, you're going to see a little box that says legacy. If you're giving towards legacy, I want you to write that amount or you can, whatever amount you're giving today or whatever amount that you're, you're pledging to give over the course of the next six months. So I want you to just, I want to pray for you and then our team is going to come forward and they're going to have you stand. Our worship team is going to lead us in worship. But let's go before the Lord. God, we bring this moment to you. And this is our opportunity, God, to be generous. To see the needs, God, that are around us. I believe you've touched many people's hearts in this place today. You've stirred our affections, but I pray that you would allow those stirred affections, God, to be led to action. Help us help the Michael Hankins. Help the victims of human trafficking. Help the communities around us. In Jesus' name, amen.